0: Go ahead, label me a liberal. I'm about to get a little hypocritical with you. Yesterday, I tore apart Joe Biden and his new disinformation governance board for being, you know, straight out of 1984. Well, today, I am forced to eat my words because we need something in place to defend us against the worst disinformation I've ever experienced, that you can eat cereal with orange juice. Not milk, cereal with orange juice. Tropicana is sounding... The seven unholy breakfast trumpets with their brand new Tropicana Crunch cereal, specifically designed to be eaten with orange juice. But as Jeff Goldblum said in the documentary film Jurassic Park, Tropicana was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This is what we've become, America. This is what happens when you elect an incoherent old coot as president. Cereal with orange juice. Shame on you, America. Also, I'm definitely going to try it. Stew does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV and use the code Stu and save 10 bucks off your subscription. Today, we talk about our pending energy apocalypse. A new rule for teachers here in Texas has me considering sending my kids to school in Venezuela to get a better education. But we start by doing Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I say I'm doing Marjorie Taylor Greene. But surely, to the relief of Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm not actually doing Marjorie Taylor Greene. My main opinion about Marjorie Taylor Greene is that people talk too much about Marjorie Taylor Greene. To prove my point, let me tell you about Sanford Bishop Jr. Who is Sanford Bishop Jr., you ask? That's my point. You've never heard of Sanford Bishop Jr. before, have you? You probably didn't even know there was a Sanford Bishop, let alone a Sanford Bishop Jr., And this guy has been in Congress representing the same freaking state, Georgia, since I was literally in high school and I have never said his name before today. In fact, even to this moment, you, you have no idea if I just made up Sanford Bishop Jr. or not to make this point. Or maybe he is a real representative. And by the way, while you're Googling it, remember, you're making my point. Yet, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been a congressperson for like four weeks. And I've already said Marjorie Taylor Greene eight times in this monologue. My point is that whether you care about Marjorie Taylor Greene or not, you should definitely care about what the Democrats are trying to do to her right now. Now, this goes back, our story begins back in the days of January 6th, where every single left-wing story seems to begin these days. Now, obviously, Marjorie Taylor Greene was a big believer in the idea that the election was stolen, or at least it should be investigated. And you have this all going on. People are talking about a lot of the stuff. People are getting thrown off social media. You remember the whole thing. Then, of course, you have the rally that happens on January 6th, starts as a rally and then turns into the January 6th riot, which we all know and remember. Now, I am not a defender of that riot. I have said this many, many times. I think that riot was a national disgrace. Those responsible for violence against police officers should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I am not an apologist for January 6th. I am not an apologist for the people who committed violent crimes against police officers. I'm not an apologist for anybody who participated in that day. I mean, look, we can all be critical of the way the left and the media has used that day. But that day was not something that I look back upon fondly. In fact, I look upon it as a national disgrace. But at no point, no point no point, at no point on January 6th, was the government of the United States actually in danger of falling? Can we stop being silly? Yes, it was a riot. It was a, a riot that I really, really hated. A completely unacceptable riot, but it was a riot. I mean, it was what, uh, over in a few hours, the business of the government went on, The same day the election was certified the same day. This was not some, you know, look, this was uh, it's just not what they said it was. And you can still be critical of that day and not believe it was as bad as the Civil War and not believe it was as bad as slavery and not believe it's the worst thing anyone has ever seen in the history of the United States or the world. That is a totally sane viewpoint. But calling it a disgrace or a riot was never enough for the left. They've always gone back to the word insurrection. It always has to be an insurrection. If you're just saying it was really, really bad, if you're just saying there were crimes committed, if you're just saying that it was a a, a terrible riot, uh, if you're just saying that you just thought it was a very, 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 very no good, very bad day, that's never enough. It's got to be specifically an insurrection. Now, look. Was this an insurrection? This was not Operation Valkyrie, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Tom Cruise was not involved, to my knowledge. It was a bunch of people playing hero ball in their government fantasy league, along with a, you know, some who you know, rioted, some who just kind of walked around, some who didn't even enter the building, and also probably Bishop Sanford Jr., who you still don't know is a real representative or not, do you? You haven't Googled it yet, have you? So why did the left constantly use the word insurrection? Why? Why do they get so angry when you say it was a riot? Because shortly after January 6th, they decided to use the word insurrection as a backup plan for their impeachment of Donald Trump. Let me explain. This goes back to the 14th Amendment, Section 3. Shall I read to you? No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or, or judicial officer, we get it, Constitution. Geez, so many options. Uh, to, if you've done any of that oath stuff to support the Constitution of the United States, Shall have engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two thirds of each house, remove such disability. Got it. Okay. it's a little. I know it's old timey language. I know it's an old dusty document. I know the left never cares about it except for moments like this. But if January 6th is just a riot, there's nothing anybody can do except plead their case and try to, I don't know, win an election. But. If it's an insurrection, you can get anyone involved thrown off the ballot anywhere they want to run from the presidency all the way down to the state legislature. No go for anyone anywhere who is involved in this. Now, of course, there's no evidence Marjorie Taylor Greene participated in the riot. She didn't even go to the speech. She certainly didn't march to the Capitol. She didn't beat up any police officers. Fact. She was evacuated from the Capitol to be protected from the riot. But the left is still trying to get her thrown off the ballot anyway. Now there's a little clause in there, you may have noticed about aid and comfort. If someone gives aid and comfort uh, to the enemy, uh, that is a reason that they can no longer hold office. And this seems a little bit more expansive, but Rich Lowry kind of breaks this down for Politico. What about aid or comfort? That's broader language to be sure, But it is drawn from the treason clause of the Constitution. And as my National Review colleague, Dan McLaughlin, uh, who, of course, has been on the program many times, points out, The operative word is enemies. Needless to say, Green was not giving aid and comfort to enemies of the United States from a foreign country or a breakaway confederation. This part of the Constitution was put in because of the Civil War, not the fake Civil War where we have, you know, political parties going back and forth and tweeting at each other very angrily, but like the literal Civil War. And that even after the literal Civil War, it wasn't really robustly upheld. This isn't something you just kind of throw around because you don't like someone's tweets. Now, it is, it goes into a little bit more depth here. Let me give you a little more here. As with impeachments or expulsions from Congress, the Section 3 process is an extraordinary anti-democratic remedy that should be used only on the basis of the most powerful evidence. On May 24th, Green faces a Republican primary challenger, Jennifer Strahan. The voters of the, Georgia's 14th district would be wise to reject Green. But in a democratic republic, that choice should be theirs alone to make. Yeah, See, what we say, yeah, the left says, that's the problem. This is the problem, the central problem we're dealing with here. The left doesn't want to give people the chance to pick their own representatives. They say they love democracy oh so much. But then here we are as they try to pull names off of ballots in several states. Look, the truth is that this show isn't about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the effort to take Marjorie Taylor Greene off the ballot also is not about Marjorie Taylor Greene. In the medium term, it's about getting Donald Trump off the ballot. If this effort with Greene actually were to work, you can be sure it will be used against Donald Trump as well. If the tactic doesn't work against Greene, it will still be used against Donald Trump when he decides to run, if he decides to run. The minute he does announce that run, The paperwork will be drawn up if it's not already. And I would not be surprised to see it wait until after the primary has been finished. Uh, That way you can kick him off the ballot after he's the only candidate left. They already tried to impeach him to block him from running. And now they will try this. I don't think it will work, but honestly, nothing will surprise me at this point. But the bigger picture is the reveal. The left says they love democracy. They say they love the purity of elections. They say they want the people's voices to be heard, but they don't. They want control. They want control at any cost. They want to stop you from making your own decisions. And that includes one Sanford Bishop Jr., if he's actually a real person. So if you're trying to get involved in the real estate market right now, you might be thinking, you know what, these prices have run up a bunch. I'm going to cash in, take some money and, uh, you know, wait for all this to blow over. If you're selling a home, it's very important to get the best real estate agent that you can. And that sort of seems obvious, but it is not obvious from our actions. I can tell you this. Most people just go online. They see a house they like. They see the name under the house with a phone number and they call it. That's how most people pick their real estate agent. That's not a good idea. Uh, at all. If you're moving across the country, perhaps you were in one of these blue states and decided, hey, this COVID thing is reminding me I need to get the hell out of here. And you're now finding yourself in Florida or Tennessee or Texas. you need a real estate agent in that area. You might not know anyone who lives in the area yet if you're moving there for the first time. Well, go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find the best agent in your area. realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go whether you're buying or selling a home. Get more information at real realestateagentsitrust.com. Joined now by Jackie Daly, host of The Jackie Daly Show, which is a convenient title for her particular name. Uh, It's right here at Blaze Media. Of course, don't miss that. You can check out the podcast every week. Jackie, how's it going?
1: Going well. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Can we start with the war with Russia and Ukraine? Before we get into the because you're you're an energy expert, we could I I think that's what's hitting people at least most right now until the missiles actually start flying above the polar ice caps. That's what's hitting people right now in America the most. Before we get into the effects of what this is going to mean for us in the long term, the war itself, you know, a lot of times it's presented in the media as something that just there's inertia there. This is going to happen. There's nothing we could have done to avoid it. Is that true?
1: There are about a thousand and one things we could have done to avoid it <laughs> yeah. and to prevent it. And so, I mean, the first issue is why now? Why? Because he has a leader here who he knows is not going to hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. You can you can feel and perceive the weakness from across the airwaves. It is palpable. Yeah. They know there's no leadership. Um, second. He's flushed with cash because energy prices are so high. And that is because we have strangled our own energy production here. We have to understand this is a world market. So when we produce as much as we typically would, if we had a good policy, it's higher than Russia. Mm-hmm. We're an entire other Russia. We're, we're as big as yeah. Saudi Arabia. Right. And that keeps the prices low. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. No, it's OK. Uh, and so that keeps the prices low. Um And you saw that happen. I mean, during the Trump years, he hit the accelerator as hard as he could. Yeah. On American energy. Mm -hmm. That's a big problem for OPEC, for Russia, for any petro state. They need money to make their budget. They need high oil and gas prices. That's all they have to make their to stay alive, to Mm -hmm. not default. And so when we strangle ourselves, we constrict the supply. Prices skyrocket. He's loaded and he can afford this. War is expensive.
0: It is very expensive. And especially he has. So, you know, with the steps that we've taken as far as cutting him off from the global economy, this stuff can get harder. We saw some of this this week where, you know, Poland, Bulgaria, (coughs) he's going to cut off from from gas because they wouldn't buy in rubles and, and, and all of this. But like it strikes me as this this point where we see over and over again, the media tells us that the Biden administration is not doing anything to hold back energy uh, supplies. This is actually a problem with the oil companies themselves. They're so greedy that for some reason they don't want to use <sighs> their leases. These arguments don't make sense to me together. No, what is the truth with it?
1: If they were greedy, they would be taking advantage of these sky high prices right, right now and yeah. selling their oil right now. <laughs> All right. Typically, what they do is hold back and not produce when the price is low, mm-hmm. saying we'll hold this barrel until the price shoots up mm-hmm. and then we'll sell this barrel at a much higher price. The prices are huge right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're around $100 a barrel. That's great. They only need higher than about 50 or 60 to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And this is almost as good as it gets. I mean, it, it does get higher in times of war, uh, right before the 2008 crash, for example. Right.
0: Yeah, hit 140 or something. Right? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, and the Jeez. Saudis would not help, by the way. Yeah. Uh, our <laughs> president said, please turn on the spigot. You know, Bush has had this long relationship with Saudis that didn't matter. They told him to pound sand. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show they're not really our allies, even at the most critical moment. Oh, we should have known, not since the 80s, or well, uh, somewhere between the 80s and now. Yeah. It's been dashed. But the point is that um, there's so much we could be doing. And most of what the Biden administration does to constrict energy supply, you'll never see, because it's happening in the federal agencies.
0: So explain that, because because they make it seem to their own voters that they're doing everything they can to restrict right. oil because it's right. so evil for global warming. Right. And then they come to the American people and they say, we're doing nothing to 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 hold this back. So what they, they're, they're walking some middle line here. What are they doing?
1: So I, I had a group on my show called Western Energy Alliance, and they laid out 80 policies of the Biden administration that are choking oil and gas 80. 80. And I'm sure that's just a sampling because there are about 17 federal agencies um, that regulate oil and gas in one way or another, not directly. But for example, the Department of Labor and the Securities and Exchange Commission implement policies whereby they want to go woke with ESG investment criteria. Mm -hmm. And to to make that real, what it means is um, when Department of Labor regulates ERISA retirement plans, They're going to say, oh, you need to be divested out of oil and gas and coal and firearms manufacturers and payday lenders and people like that. Mm -hmm. And you want a better ESG score. Right. You want to really it's really a wokeness score
0: is what it is. There's no
1: definition for it. Right. But environmental,
0: social and governance governance is ESG. But, you know, it really is sort of this undefined new world.
1: Right. So this is the federal government saying our policy is to divest from oil and gas. Period. And that is really what it means. I don't care how they try to dress it up. Trump reversed that policy and you know, Biden immediately reversed it back mm. uh, to the Obama policy. That is so much money. And if you start starving the oil patch um, of money, which Wall Street is doing this, too, because they believe that's where the governments are going when they're giving these scores on environmental, they're, they're looking into a crystal ball they don't have and saying, will this industry be regulated out of existence in the future? If yes, I'll give it a low score. And we're not investing in that. And that's their justification. But why are they saying it? It's right. because the governments are signaling so hard. You heard what Biden said. We're going to end fossil fuels. Like, look in my eyes. We will end fossil fuels. They're believing him. And uh, now the, the truth is that would never happen. It, only in the free countries can political pressure be brought to try to do that. OPEC's never going to stop, right? Russia's yeah, never right. going to stop. Right. Um, I mean, China. there are... Yeah. China has oil, too. Mm -hmm. There are are dozens and dozens of countries that produce oil. Most of them are not free. They are tyrannical dictatorships and they're not going to go green. What's going to happen is we're going to choke our own and those bad actors will take that market share. That's what's going to happen.
0: We're told that the solution to this, though, is to is to go green, to get your electric car. Uh, You know, Biden was talking about, hey, just get an electric car and you'll save, you know, seventy five dollars a month or something on gasoline. It's going to be a wonderful thing. This, though, and it's hitting not just it's not just Tesla, too. I mean, like GM is saying 2030, they're not going to be making any more gas powered cars. You know, all these companies are saying this at the same time. Are they just trying to plead uh, please the ESG gods? Yes. Is this is this really going to happen?
1: No, because there there literally is not enough lithium in the world to make that transition. There's not enough um, cobalt. There's Mm -hmm. not enough of any of the rare earth elements that we need or other elements to even create that many batteries. Like the math doesn't work. It's not there. It's completely not there, even just for the U.S. transportation sector. And keep in mind, when we're talking about transitioning, break it into three parts. There's the transportation sector, there's electricity, and then there's petrochemicals. Well, I mean, wind and solar only really give you electricity. You get electrons off of right. those. Mm-hmm. But you don't run cars on them unless you have batteries, but we can't make it up of those. It's not physically possible. They will never make petrochemicals. Which is a huge part of what oil and gas does for us. So, everything in this studio is made from petrochemicals, oil and gas. We're talking about plastics, electronics, vinyls, pharmaceuticals, your clothes, this—I mean, everything. Paint, uh, polyester, um, everything. Yeah. And so, we don't have modern life. We don't have PPE. We don't have modern sanitation without petrochemicals. That's oil and gas. So I don't care how many wind turbines you build, and, and <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. And it's intermittent, so we saw what happened in Texas. I mean, Texans know better than anyone. We lost hundreds of people in that storm uh, in February 2021, and no one talks about that. Hundreds of people, we were four minutes away from complete grid collapse. Yeah. And wind and solar were no-shows. They were not moving, and people say, well, it's because they weren't winterized. It wouldn't have mattered. Even if they had not been frozen, the wind wasn't blowing and the sun wasn't shining through the storm. You still wouldn't have power. This is a bad plan.
0: And so what does this do for cost? Because, you know, we have, of course, the war going on. We have uh, all all the disruptions with the pandemic and everything else around around the world. We've seen uh, prices go up. Have we felt the impact of this already? Is it priced in, or is there more to come?
1: There's way more to come. This, I mean, I I really don't like being the bearer of bad news. (laughs) I mean, for most of my time in media, it was always good news. Yeah. Uh, The good news of American energy, like making it cheap, and you, it's like having three thousand extra dollars in your pocket when energy prices are good. Um, There's so much great news, but this is really bad news, and I mean, so bad that I would say literally, plant a garden. You know learn to hunt, learn to fish. This is going to be, I mean, like mm. for example, in the opening days of the war with Ukraine, wheat prices went up 5% a day. And so Russia and Ukraine are the two, are two major wheat producers, right. so are we. Okay, but for their part of the world, they're critical, and mm. other parts of the world they export to. Um, they're not going to have a wheat crop in Ukraine. I mean, and, and what they are producing is low quality. It's the lowest quality crop in about 20 years. Wow. So, um, but but it's going to get much worse. For example, if, if, um, if people don't realize that uh, fertilizer is derived from natural gas, it quadruples crop yield. If we're not going to have as much natural gas produced, I mean, Russia's saying their oil production will be down 17% this year. Natural gas will be too. Well, that's going to hurt too. I mean, we're not getting natural gas to where we need it. That is a problem for food production. Hmm. And then we just transport food with with transportation fuel anyway. I mean, it it hits everything.
0: So much of I think the problem here is that it's a problem of the success of capitalism. Right. Right. Where the American people just aren't used to thinking about these things. Roger uh, Marshall, the senator from Kansas, mentioned the other day, he said, global famine is coming. It's happening. It's going to happen. Now, maybe it doesn't hit us as dramatically in the United States. Maybe just our prices go up. But, I mean, think of the the places on Earth that are on the verge of starvation anyway at the beginning. This stuff hits. It's going to wipe out a lot of people in really scary ways. We We don't see that as a realistic possibility in the United States. That's just not how we look at the world. We're used to bounty. I mean, first of all, Do you agree with that, with Roger's analysis, the senator, or do you and do you think that the American people can adjust their thinking to be able to embrace what could be a dark period here?
1: If we can't adjust our thinking, we will have by the end of the year, we will have no choice. And I mean, this is going to be an ugly year. I don't see I really don't see a path, even if the war stops today. I wish it would. The damage from this will be felt for a while. We were already going in a bad direction yeah. for any number of reasons. And have you seen the stories about the dozens of, of food processing plants in the United States that have been had mysterious fires, um, explosions? Uh, you know, I mean, in the last few weeks, hmm. dozens of them. This is not an accident. It's not possible. It's all over the whole country and even in Canada. Something is happening. And so I, I'm not sure what it is. I couldn't possibly begin to sure. tell you, but I am saying to Americans, be ready to feed your family. Do not wait for the government to show up and save the day because they're not going to. I mean look at Hurricane Katrina and the people in New Orleans. I mean ask them yeah. how the government shows up to help, even when we had that we had complete ability to address that situation. We're not going to have the ability to address this one completely. I'm not telling you that millions of Americans are going to starve. I don't think that's going to happen in 2022. I'm just saying you're going to face choices probably that you haven't had to face before, particularly if you're in the lower income bracket, which is where I'm from. I mean, My earliest memories are of being Indian style in the floor with the family snapping beans for hours Mm. like we made our own. We had massive gardens, both grandparents. And it was normal back then to have large gardens and to rely on yourself like our grandparents would have been far more suited for the tough times coming up. It's more like the depression, perhaps. Yeah.
0: That's, um, yeah. And they, because they, they lived through it, they, they understood that. I feel like I, I would starve if just the Taco Bell drive through shut down. Even if they, you could walk inside, I probably wouldn't be able to figure that out. I need the drive through. That's kind of the American people at this point. I don't think we're right. ready for this at all.
1: No, most of us are not. I mean, I'm I'm from Appalachia. Mm. People there are already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we you know, we hunt to supplement the food bill normally. It's kind of like uh, we're used to being. <laughs> <scraped behind. laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, and we're also used to having no air conditioning and, and that kind of thing. There are people in this country who are tougher but mm. uh, than the urban dwellers. But I, yeah, I'm concerned for people who are on a fixed income living in the cities that, that's where my. Uh, if you have family members who fit that description, yeah. I would be worried about them.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have more. Uh, I know this is going to be a big issue going forward, and then you're going to be talking about it on your podcast. Jackie Daly, she's the host of Blaze Media's The Jackie Daly Show. Check out the podcast. Make sure to subscribe and get all of her content. Jackie, thanks so much for coming
1: on. Thanks so much, Stu. Enjoyed it.
0: So NBC News is obsessed with a town in Texas called Southlake. Uh, they had a podcast about it. They talk about it all the time. They write about it all the time. Um, and for whatever reason, they've decided they're just going to paint this town as this evil, racist uh, you know, area. Um, and so, that, so there was a, a story a long time ago. We've talked about it before where a couple of teenagers said some nasty things on the Internet. And, you know, that's what launched this whole process where... The mayor of the town said, "Okay, we're going to do something about this uh, this uh, ugly language." They came up with some diversity plan. Then the the, the residents of the town were like, "Wait a minute!" Or. Like, this is crazy. This is you know basically a beginning a version of CRT. And they decided to reject it. Now, since then, they've had multiple elections where these people uh, who were associated with this have been thrown out of office and you know, large 30, 40-point margins. Not really a controversial issue in the area itself, but NBC is obviously trying to get clicks from like New York City about this, so they continue to write about it all the time. Um, their latest thing is a new uh, story about what's going on behind the scenes, uh supposedly in this town of South Lake they are saying that the teachers you know at the uh, this particular school district who have you know, gone back and forth and they don't they didn't like some of these crazy diversity things. And they've come out and they've been critical of, of the of the town and the school system. On the other side, there have been a few teachers who are more on the liberal side of things. And they've been critical because they don't like where things are going. Well, you know what? That's natural, right? That's the way people are. Some people like things. Some people don't like things. This is I'm not breaking news here. This is the way society functions. And when you're talking about a government, it's really central To your First Amendment right to be able to speak out uh, against the government, whether you think they're being too conservative or too liberal, whether they're being too much uh, with CRT or if you want the only thing they learn to be CRT instead of fractions. uh, Either way, you should be able to say that Southlake uh, reportedly, uh, according to NBC News, is now requiring teachers uh, to sign non disparagement agreements. Um, basically saying, you know, we're not going to say anything bad about the school district if, uh, if, if they do something wrong uh, and they're going to sign agreements to that effect. Now, of course, I don't think, look, you shouldn't, there's no reason to do that. Companies can do that. If you're a private school, you could probably uh, get away with it. Though, is that a good idea? I mean, really, why not just let these people run the, their mouths and then we'll know who they are, you know? If, if, someone, if someone really has a problem with something that's, that's not a problem, then you know who the person is, and you can move on. Of course, with teachers' unions, that gets more and more difficult. And these things wind up turning into big online controversies. Some one, some famous pop singer lives in the town or near the town and was initially... T- I can't remember who it was now. It, who's the one? She was... She. I think... Uh, wow, I just misgendered her. I believe she's non-binary now. I can't think of who she... That was her. the latest story. She was a girl at one point, but now I think is non-binary, which I, hey, I don't know, maybe, you know, like one time they're a grape and then they get a lot of sun and then it's a raisin. I don't know. I don't know how this works exactly. But at some point she converted to non-binary. Anyway, uh, these things become big online controversies and then we are down that road anyway. So, I mean, a non-disparagement agreement is not going to stop anything. Anyway, we'll keep, we'll keep following that uh, if anything else develops on it. I'm sure NBC News will be there. Because they got to get their clicks from San Francisco. It's got to happen. Elon Musk, of course, is trying to do something about this. And his solutions, by the way, would allow more people to speak, not fewer. That should be something we'd all praise. He's also got some other new ideas. And I keep coming back to this. Elon Musk is a guy who puts whoopee cushions, uh, virtual whoopee cushions, in Teslas. Right, So you can actually turn on a whoopee cushion in your Tesla. So when someone gets in and sits in the back seat, it will make a fart noise. That is the attention to detail this guy has. I'm not kidding about that. That's a real feature in at least some Teslas. Uh, You know, a guy likes to have fun. He likes to be involved in the products. He really cares about these things. He seems to care about everything all the time, which is hard to do, but he seems to do it. Uh, This is not going to be an untouched product here. You're not going to sign on on Twitter, you know, a couple of years from now, and it's going to be the same There's going to be all sorts of new features. He's going to try all sorts of different stuff. Some of it you're going to like, some of it you're going to hate probably if you care about Twitter. Um, He of course spent $44 billion on this project and he's going to be developing new ways to make money from tweets, uh, a way to monetize your tweets. Now, This has been something that the other social networks have been doing for a long time. You know, if you are a big, uh, you know, if you're on YouTube, uh, you can sell advertising during the show. If you are uh, on Instagram, you can participate in different ways to distribute advertising uh, revenue. Really, on Twitter, it's been kind of they really haven't gone down that road all that that much. They're looking to do uh, that. They have a bunch of they have a new CEO they're going to be putting in. Um, There is a another uh, maybe annual fee type of situation they may be doing. One of the early ideas for Twitter to stop bots mainly was to uh, make it like one cent a tweet, you know, some really nominal fee that would just stop you from tweeting 500,000 times a day or opening up new accounts everywhere. Um, It would be interesting if something like that were to be implemented with Doge. Uh, He's a big Dogecoin guy, as you may know. And I know I would not be surprised at all if Dogecoin is involved in Twitter here going forward. Um, There's another story about, and I think this is something I've been hitting on like crazy. You're probably getting sick of me saying it, so let me... Give you somebody else saying it. Um, Elon Musk's uneasy relationship with the left explodes over Twitter takeover. This is a fascinating story because, again, this is supposedly the greatest existential threat. It's global warming. And here's a guy who has done more to stop this problem than anyone else on the planet, and the left hates him. Now, I thought you guys said this was a big issue, and they gave us a little favor here because every once in a while you get this. If you ask someone on the left to to explain themselves, they'll usually come up with some BS spin. But when they're trying to talk among themselves, they sometimes admit exactly what you've been accusing them of the entire time. Story goes into um, uh, how outspoken progressive see a white nationalist sympathizing, tax dodging, anti-union, anti-free speech, anti-free speech. He's asking for more speech. Dystopian neo-colonialist, neo-col- uh, plutocrat. And he's tainted by his family's background in apartheid South Africa, where Musk was born in 1971. That's how they see this guy now. The the hero of the climate movement. That's how they see him now. It's really incredible. Musk, of course, left South Africa uh, for Canada at age 17 to dodge mandatory military service, saying in an interview that he wanted to avoid, quote, spending two years suppressing black people. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't think this guy is the enemy. Um, he Maybe he is too progressive, though, honestly. He eventually moved to California at 24 on a temporary worker visa, later naturalized as a U.S. citizen. Some climate activists who see Musk as having made real gains in reducing the nation's dependency on fossil fuels wonder why Musk, of all the world's billionaires, has touched such a nerve on the left. And here's the uh, this part is I just love this. I think many people are attracted to climate solutions because they promise not just less carbon, but also a more equitable, democratic, and just society. In other words, they don't come for the climate. They don't care about the climate. What they care about is all the other crap attached to it. You can get all this stuff through with climate as essentially the excuse. I'm expanding a tad off of this particular activist's point here, but you get the idea. What we always say is, you know, green is the new red, right? Like everyone's saying green all the time. In reality, this is the same old red stuff we've been seeing, you know, since Marx. And that is the symbol, uh, that is the situation here, in my view. Um, the climate issue is so polarized that climate advocates tend to be the kinds of people who would support the social justice causes that Musk loves to mock and who are concerned about any wealthy person acquiring too much power. And that's true if they got rich sell- selling solar panels and electric vehicles instead of cigarettes and oil or whatever. Some even wonder if Musk's trolling of liberals make electric vehicles more culturally acceptable to conservatives, intentionally or- or not. And I think that's true. I think the fact that Musk stands up and says, "Okay, this woke stuff is nonsense, but the climate thing is real, opens people up on the other side who would normally dismiss someone blathering on about the climate and might have them hear that voice a little bit more. If you actually cared about the climate, Elon Musk should be your hero. If you are the person who cares about climate as the greatest threat that we ever have, Elon Musk should be the ultimate person you praise because he's doing a lot about it and he's bringing in people who wouldn't normally participate in it. I've talked about this before. We did a a documentary back in 2006 about the climate and most of it was evil climate denialism as you might imagine, from evil conservatives like myself and Glenn Beck. However, we did a, a segment on Tesla, and this is back before they had ever produced a car. It was before Elon Musk was even really there. He, you know, he was not one of the founders. Uh, There's two other guys that founded it. We talked to one of them, and we praised the Tesla and said, you know what, if the left is right on the climate, this is the way you'll solve the problem, not you know through the government, but through people like this taking a risk and doing something about it on their own. All of that played out. All of that played out, and yet the left is still pissed off about it because they don't want it that way. They want it the government way. They want it the control way. It's the same thing we talked about at the beginning of the show with Marjorie Taylor Greene. They don't care about Marjorie Taylor Greene. They care about control. You're probably thinking to yourself right now, I'm a failure. Nothing I've ever done in my entire life makes a difference. Everything I've tried to put together throughout my life has fallen apart in a cascading series of catastrophes. And that's probably true. You're probably thinking to yourself, I don't even want to be around anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, Carl, (laughs) let me tell you something. You can still make a difference by going to Facebook right now and subscribing to my channel. That's right, it's probably the most important thing you'll ever do, but don't stop there. Instead, click on the, the, uh, the menu there and mark us as a favorite account. You just gotta follow us, and then mark us as a, fa- a favorite account. If you do that, you will defeat the big tech robot algorithm people that go through and make my content never get to you. So please do that when you have a moment and make your life mean something. It's gonna be difficult you can do it got some comments from facebook right now uh rich says you demand Stu. love the show brother thank you so much we appreciate it uh brady says "Love. i'm watching your show now although i'm sure you are watching the nfl draft right now aj brown to the eagles you think i'm missing that for this stupid show no chance uh ronald writes thank you i thought <laughs> uh, No, nobody sh- calls their show stupid more than I do. Uh, Ronald says, uh, thank you. I thought it was just me who couldn't handle the plural pronouns to refer to an individual. This is infuriating because I can't, it's not even like, it's not even a, an anti-woke stance. It's, I just want to be able to understand what the stories are. And if you, if you refer to one person as they, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. That's That's, those are plurals. Gary says 90% of the Internet is porn. The other 10% is people fighting with one another. That's what progress means today. I hope we can make more progress in this front uh, and maybe we can get it to at least 95.5. You know, that's (laughs) one day. One day we'll get there. Greg says, are you Glenn Beck's son? (laughs) I am not Glenn Beck's son. However, I do know that his name is spelled with two N's. So at least I've got that going on for me, which is nice. It's the last, uh, last segment of a Friday show. I thought we'd do a little Stew Eats America yeah, every once in a while. Other, I don't always do things. I also eat things. So Stew Eats America, some new products that we've discovered and thought we'd taste test for your enjoyment. First of all, we've got new kind of Pringles. Pringles fried onion ring. Mmm, kind of sounds good. Fried onion ring Pringles, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And we're going to go along with that with, to wash it down, flaming hot. Mountain Dew. Now, I've got lots of questions. First of all, let's go into the Pringles area. Hmm. The smell is interesting. It smells like um, Pringles. That's... Did you know, by the way, that Pringles are not potato chips? Did you know this? Did you know that they cannot legally call them potato chips? They are called, as you see right here on the bottle, potato crisps. Because they are not a potato chip, they are broken up and then reformed into these fancy shapes so they can stack on top of each other. Just a little trivia fact. It's the type of information you get here on Stew Eats America. So these are supposed to taste like the onion rings you get, I guess, at a fast food restaurant. And you think to yourself, well, do I really need an unhealthy snack to replicate an unhealthy snack? And the answer to that is, of course, yes. So let me give it a shot. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, t- I'm processing here. They taste pretty much like plain Pringles. I would say they don't, t- I don't, I really don't pick it up at all. It's hard to eat half of a Pringle, by the way. You ever notice that? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I like Pringles, so they're fine. But I would not give, I would not go, I would not go out and buy, buy Rush out to buy a fried onion ring. Pringles. If you want onion rings, you should just go get onion rings. (laughs) Just, I mean, that's just basic advice. Uh, so I'll give these a eh, four out of 10, three out of 10. I mean, they're not very good. Again, normal Pringles are fine. So uh, from that stance, I would say they're just like normal Pringles, maybe a little seasoning on them, but I didn't really notice. I'm hoping for a little bit more out of these because you want to talk about weird flavor combinations. You might say, all right, Mountain Dew, I'm going to jazz it up with a little heat. You know, maybe a little like I was thinking, like cinnamon fireball type of heat. Maybe I could, I could kind of see that as being maybe a little delicious. However, this one is a seemingly a partnership with Cheetos, so you have f- Mountain Dew and then Flamin' Hot Cheetos taste on top, and that that's a little a little strange. The can is very busy, uh, but could be delicious. There we go. All right. <laughs> okay. I could smell. I could smell the heat. Okay, here we go. This is a uh, flaming hot Mountain Dew with a. Bl- it's a Dew with a blast of heat and citrus, and also other natural flavors, which are totally natural. Boys and girls, always remember that. Hmm, I, I, that's that's not bad actually. I, it, has a, it definitely has the citrus taste. I mean, the heat is not very present, I would say. As a guy who um, occasionally enjoys a Moscow Mule from time to time and has a varying uh, amount of, of ginger beers for each taste, particular to how much ginger you enjoy in your Moscow Mule, a, a, a powerful ginger beer is going to totally overpower this, much more, much more heat. Um, but this one... It's not bad. I would give this. A, I'll give this a five out of eh, five out of ten. Five out of ten. Mountain Dew, Flamin' Hot. It's not cheesy. In case you were thinking it was a cheesy soda, I can. No, it was not.